0: Like to contact the show, send us an email at on 4 at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Good
1: evening, Champagne. Population 63,352. Nice to meet you, anyway. I don't think we ever played this building. Feel like a lion in a cage. Any Christians want to be eaten tonight? And away
0: we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr.
1: Stone Gossel! Fucking camera in a job. Mr. Boom Gasper! You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just just fucking call me, why don't you?
0: Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. got some stuff going on this week, including an episode continuing the Riot Act Tour run that we're following here and doing a great show in Champaign, Illinois, home of the Fighting Illini over there, University of Illinois. And we're going to talk about this show, obviously, but we're going to talk about some other things that are tied to it too. And I know... There's been some things going on, and once again, I just have to kind of preface this as we don't know anything that could have been announced in the future, because we're recording this much earlier than we usually do. So it can come next Wednesday, and we can know everything, or we can know nothing. So we're just going to go off of the rumors that we have when we're going to talk about new tour stuff for now. And we will bring it up a little bit because in ways it can be relevant, but we'll talk a little bit about that. And I also have a trip to Seattle coming up very, very soon. And I want to talk to you guys about that and let you guys know how to follow and and what I'm be posting on social media and and where I'm going to be and all that. So should be exciting. Let's just jump right into it. Randy Sobel over here, John for over there. Hello, hello. Hiya.
2: 2003 again. Love it. I mean, we're is the, it Groundhog's
0: Day or what?
2: Yeah, we're in the middle of, uh, of a little run here. This is cool. I mean, it's like years.
0: we we did it to ourselves, right? That we said, you know, it's 20 years. Might as well pay a little tribute to one of the best tours around. Yeah, last week was a
2: good one, like getting to a show that, like, because there's a lot in 2003 that are very, very well known. But we, we've done a lot of those, so it's cool to kind of get to some of these that are like I said, a little more under the radar, maybe people aren't as familiar with, but good shows nonetheless.
0: Yeah. And I think that this one that we're going to do today is probably considered more of a classic than some people would think. I think that a lot of people that were there absolutely come out of it saying it's one of their favorite shows that they've ever been to. I've heard that a lot. and, And I think that after so many times hearing that, I got to listening to this boot a a while ago, and I'm like, oh, I see what they mean. I get it from this show. I totally do. And it's basically Chicago crowd, but it's a college venue. You have a little bit of different fan base kind of mixing in a little bit there. If you read things, it says there were a lot of college kids that were at the show. And sometimes that could be a good thing. Sometimes that could be a bad thing because college kids at the show doesn't necessarily mean all college kids are Pearl Jam fans. But in this one, it did seem like a majority were. As we'll kind of get into when we talk about the show, like it's another good example of the them just being on their a game for this whole entire year,
2: yeah, that mention of Chicago gets a big roar, though. There's definitely some people that made the short trip. But being college age in two thousand and three, that probably means you're probably about twenty twenty one you're probably about the right age to have grown up with ten and versus there. So that makes a lot of sense.
0: It doesn't happen as often anymore so this kind of happened in here and, and it feels like this is sort of a yin and yang kind of show with state college in a way you know this is a shorter show obviously they're all shorter shows than state college but it has the same type of crowd the same type of energy and also there's going to be a thing that comes up later that it was kind of i guess a mistake that I'd made and would come to to fix it once State College would come around. Well, I, I want to take a second here and actually talk a little bit about my trip coming up. What do you think? You want to talk to me sure. about that? Sure. Yeah, you're heading out to the great Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been to Seattle once before. I went almost exactly a decade ago, and I think I went with zero knowledge of what to do. And I went with no game plan at all. And I kind of spent a lot of time wandering. And I didn't know where Easy Street was. So I kind of wanted to stay in areas where I can walk and didn't have to take an Uber. And I also wasn't staying in Seattle. I was staying in Bellevue, which is a half-hour bus ride or whatever. But still, it's not exactly in the heart of the city. So I, I went to a Mariners game. I went to a Seahawks preseason game. I uh, went to Mo Pop at the time, which didn't have any Pearl Jam stuff, and now heading there sh- very shortly, it's going to be filled with Pearl Jam stuff for the last time. I, g- I guess they're all going back home. They're going back to, you know, the vault or something like that. But that was a reason why. We want to make the trip here because, like, that's such a big thing. We've seen all the photographs of people in front of the, the 10 signs and holding their arms up and everything like that. And yeah, like, you see the stuff, it's like, yeah, I'm jealous of that. I'm going to go see that. I want to go see all of like Pearl Jam's most amazing artifacts. Of course, I do. And this happened to be a good time. They're not touring right now. You know, obviously, the rumors say that they will be touring in September, but you know wink wink nudge nudge who the hell knows but this was a really good opportunity to do this and i'm thankful that i have so many people that said the same thing and jumped right in like that's just the coolest thing about this community is that you can say all right we're headed to seattle and people were like wait a minute you're going for this i want to go for this too and it's just cool. Like, we're going to be like five of us. It's going to be Dukes, who's a native over there. And then Aaron Redman and Javier, obviously, that you guys know from listening to the show every week. And then uh, Lori jernberg too. So that's a really good crew. And and it's perfect timing to go see Mopop, perfect timing to go to record store day at Easy Street, of all places. And then going to go to the Rockfords in store, which that's probably going to be amazing too.
2: Yeah, you got like a crew going with you. This is going to be different from that time. Not going to be much time for wandering around by yourself. You're going to be putting stuff to good use. You're taking all the the video equipment. You're going to share some stuff with us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am. And working on documentaries is not my strong suit. Shooting documentaries, great. I can take all the footage. But then it's getting in and actually finding the time to edit. I'm working on something right now from our St. Louis trip and I'm just trying to find time to get it all done. I really wanted to get it done for a purpose, and you guys will know when we're ready to, to put it out. But, you know, I have all this documentary footage from last year that I want to put into good use, and now this trip is coming up, and same thing. Like, I had this whole idea for kind of doing a blog, and literally I'm going to be in Seattle for 30 hours. I'm leaving, 9.30 flight, getting there around 12.30, 12.40, Then I leave on a red-eye at like 11.30 Saturday night. I'm very excited, and if you guys want to follow along in the travels and stuff like that, I'll be documenting as much as I can be. Yeah, look for it on the social medias. Uh, Facebook, we don't use our Facebook page that much anymore. It's the Pearl Jam Podcast Community page is what we've been using for a really long time. So if you're on Facebook, that's where to check. Twitter, at Live on Four Legs Pod. I'm sure I'll post a ton of stuff to Twitter. I might even post some stuff to Patreon too. Let's see kind of where that goes. And yeah, that should be fun. And I will have the full report when I get back next week. John, let's talk about something here. This is a theme for this show, it's kind of connected with the show directly, and it's part of the question of the week that we asked everybody on social media. So, this show has six covers, which is a lot. It's a lot for then, and I would consider it to be a lot for now, even though really 2022... Felt like the covers kind of cooled off a little bit because the songs in the set cooled off. So, if you had a 22 to 24 song set, maybe you'd have one or two. I think that the last couple years going in, like the lightning bolt era stuff, like we saw a lot of pretty common stuff that we would get at that time. Like they would play like a comfortably numb or an imagine, just those kind of songs that kind of just popped in and out, but were used a fair amount of times where it was like, okay, you kind of knew in certain spots when covers were coming and it felt more of an inevitability than just like a, Oh, okay. They're going to do this song. So what's your take on just covers in general and how much the band should be doing them and how much is like your limit for them?
2: Yeah, I think they're okay in moderation. This Encore is 80% covers. Encore 2 is 50% covers. It's a little much. I mean, they've got enough classic stuff that they can go to. And, you know, would you rather have a cover or a deep cut? Like, I'll I'll take the deep cut every time.
0: No kidding. Yeah, of but
2: course. But if it's well-placed, if it's relevant, if it's something that they can get through... Yeah, a well-placed cover can elevate a show to something really special, but when you're just blasting them out one after the other, you're going to turn people off at some point.
0: Why don't we get into some of these answers here and see what everybody else had to say. I'm going to start with some on Twitter, and the official question is, it's kind of a two-slash-three-parter. Have you ever been to a show where you thought there were way too many covers played? Are more covers bothersome or not? what is the perfect amount of coverage for one show? So not everybody picked all three. Some people focused on one, some people focused on two, but let's touch up on it. This one's from Ernie on Twitter, Ernie Sports. He says, is there such a thing as too many? I would guess so, but the original question, I've never experienced it at a show that I've attended. The most amount that I've gotten is one to two during the main set and one to two during the encore, and he doesn't consider rocking in the Free World a cover. I think don't go over 4. I think 4 is probably the limit. And even that seems like a lot. Like and I would say that more for like 2016-2018 than 2022. 2022 I think like 2 would be it. Putting
2: an arbitrary number on it is tough cuz like it just depends. It's such a subjective Thing and it totally depends on what they're doing, but I get it. Like, at some point, you're just going to be like, All right, enough, play some of your own songs. I've got one off from the podcast community group, Dakota, who says, Although I love the show, Night One of Wrigley 2016, there were too many covers. It just felt high. I do enjoy a good cover here and there, but one out of every three or four songs seems like quite a few. Yeah. I mean, I I was there that night as well. You got Rain, Masters of War, and I'm a Patriot in the main set. Encore 1 had I Believe in Miracles, Comfortably Numb, Encore 2 had Surrender, and then Bob O'Reilly and Encore 3. Like, it just kept going and going and going. And I remember thinking during that show, like, I wish they would play more of their own songs. I think it was during Surrender or Comfortably Numb. It was like, okay, this is enough. I'd rather hear an actual Pearl Jam song. So that that one definitely had too many.
0: Another one that's kind of like akin to Wrigley 2016, and and they're very similar sets in ways. Fenway Night One 2016. This is from Ken Pyrus, and he said, "Love the show, but six is probably too much. He thinks that one to two is the most they should do." And I think the same exact thing. Packaging Masters of War and I'm a Patriot together. They did Society, which like they never do Society, so I don't have any problem with that at all. Especially yeah. because. I really consider that a cover because Ed is the band, so yeah, it's not a Pearl Jam song per se, but it's it's Ed, so you can't really say it's not part of the family. Then they brought back I've Got a Feeling for the First Time in Forever, first time since like 92 or something, so I'm not going to complain about that. And then it was like Baba and like one or two others. Oh, Draw the Line was was the other one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of one that's like, okay, it's local. It's like feeding into, okay, well, we're in Boston, so we have to play an Aerosmith song. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. I'm not an Aerosmith fan, so maybe I'm a little geared against it. But two nights in a row, I I feel like if they knew that Tom Hamilton was coming the second night, they could play something else from another Boston band, like the Cars or something like that. Those
2: ballpark shows like you talked about just with Wrigley, like you got sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 people there. They're going to play to the hits and play to the lowest common denominator, if you will. But yeah, you're always going to get those there.
0: Right. And I think a lot of people mentioned the home shows in 2018 and that I didn't mind as much because that's just bringing out guest after guest. And you're not going to play a Pearl Jam song with Mark Arm and Kim Thayle right? You're going right. to play search and destroy. You're going to play kick out the jams. Like that's what they're there for. They're not there to play better man. Yep, You know, it's true. I do want to
2: mention Mark Kirby. Since I did kind of steal this under earlier, he says, I don't mind covers as long as the cover is relevant. For example, rain in Chicago night Two, Twenty Eighteen, 2018 or a cover to honor someone's birthday or special occasion. However, he says, I prefer no covers. And actually a lot of people said that like, Give me just zero or one is is enough. I think a lot of people are to the point now, especially after we saw the set list drop a little bit in number last year, like you mentioned, that people just want to hear, they're tired of the extensive covers. They just want to hear Pearl Jam songs.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's pretty much what they got, albeit that they got less Pearl Jam songs, they got less songs overall, but that's pretty much it right there. Yeah, 10 to 20% is, I think, if you go with a percentage, like if it's 20
2: songs, around 1 to 3, but it totally depends, because it depends on what the cover is.
0: Right, for the most part, you gotta expect either a Rockin' or a Baba, not every single night, and there were a lot of shows in 2022 where they just went alive into Ledbetter. So it wasn't even a guarantee then, but a crazy Mary here and there, they didn't play a lot of covers. They did purple rain, a bunch. They did street fighting man, like the two times, but there weren't a ton last year. Patrick was kind of saying the same thing. I've been to shows with too many covers. The optimal amount is zero. They have enough (laughs) catalog not to rely on covers. And then he would comment a little bit later and he would say, they've played Rockin' in the Free World over 300 times. It's a shtick now. It was fantastic in 03 because it had a meaningful part of the tour story and current events. Hey, we don't get a Rockin' in the Free World here, so unfortunately you can't tell that. But yeah. currently that and Baba are bad bar band cosplay. Ooh. Tell us That's how you really cr- feel, Patrick. A little rough, but Okay. <laughs> It's to the point with either that they are virtually an automatic skip or channel change on Sirius. The only Baba in the last decade that's worth the time is in Oakland with Rich Stuverud going all full Keith Moon. It was good to see those two start to dwindle down last year.
2: I do want to give equal time here and represent the other side of the story. Curtis, who wrote in, says The entire second encore of my first show in Council Bluffs was covers. You've got to hide Your Love Away, Crazy Mary, Know Your Rights, in the Free World. They also played Driven to Tears earlier in the show, so 5 out of 25 were covers. That was not too many for me. It ruled. And he says it all depends on how you want to frame the discussion. Getting Son or Producer, Crown of Thorns, or Watchtower Whip's Ass, getting Imagine, or Corruption may not. Basically, every bad cover is a wasted spot, and every good cover is a win. Well said.
0: All right. Well, great answers from everybody this week. Once again, you are proving to be the highly intelligent and educated fans that we all expect you to be. And we love just hearing articulated thoughts. Like this, because if you bring these to other groups, I don't want to sh- shout out and shame other groups, but sometimes it could be less civilized elsewhere. You know what I mean? Like, it could be like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I love this. This is the best, and nobody can ever touch. Like, I like how people can be civilized around here. Good job all doing that and articulating everything. So, all right. We got a show to get to. It feels like we haven't actually mentioned champagne in a couple of minutes. So, why don't we get to popping a bottle here? And the way that we're starting the show is almost like Ed already popped the bottle backstage, because this is going to be due to the evolution. And not only that, but I'm going to get to a point after the song runs for a little bit of what this reminded me of. This is the first time they've opened with it since 1998, and the fourth in total at that point. It's at 11 times as an opener to this day. And as you kind of heard there, Ed was pretty fired up, and he catches himself up on a toss-up in the second verse, and there's a couple other ones that sort of a random line changes, and Ed kind of talking to himself a little bit. And I don't know if it took me out of the performance as much as just, me thinking that it sounded more like what an encore version of Duke the Evolution would sound like when he's really loose and he's like, yeah, I'm shit my corduroy pants and doesn't care about fucking up and making mistakes. Like, you'd think for the first song of the night, it's like, all right, let's go knock this out. Let's go hit a home run, especially with one that they never opened
2: yeah, Ed is really excited for that. He yells out, like, Alright, let's go! Like, right at the very beginning, like, trying to get everyone into it. We've seen that that can be kind of motivational, or it can just be him being very excited. I don't think it was motivational here. I think he sees that he's got a good crowd here, and just wants to get him going right from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a couple of hiccups, but I, I thought this was great. I love to do the Evolution Opens. I thought this was, like, really driving. This whole night is a great show for cameras. There are not going to be a lot of songs that I'm going to mention him by name, but... He was very good at the show there were a few times. I was like, Man, the song sounds really, like, full and, like, heavy and thick, and, like, that's due to camera. So, yeah. I'll
0: mention like, him a couple times. I don't know. Yeah, to There are going to be a couple, but probably not as many as we should. And from Do the Evolution, that energy is going to ride into these three, Corduroy, Save You, and Deep. I like the impact that Corduroy made here, and I think that Mike Solo had a lot to do with it to me it seemed like it wasn't this like high pitched like really wailing solo it kind of had a little bit of an identity to it and I don't want to say it was like a motive or anything but it was more anthemic than Corduroy usually is because Corduroy can be a solo where he just rips like he just goes out of control and he rips and this kind of felt almost like a, a mini alive solo in a way where it had sort of that storyteller aspect to it I thought this was very good
2: melody and a little more food like it reminded me of just like something that stone would do kind of like letting it go where it takes you we do get the peace line in corduroy which was kind of becoming commonplace at this point but yeah evolution into quarter i mean you can't ask for a more classic opening than that really
0: yeah that's the one and then you're gonna follow up with the big riot act song which honestly this is kind of a storyline here save you would be the first and then we're gonna get into a big chunk right in the middle and they'd end with four Riot Act songs. That is very, very low, reminding us of the Gigaton songs from last year where they got to like three a show.
2: Well, that's due to the covers as well. If you're not playing that's six true. covers, they can have like we are seeing Bush League in an encore, mm-hmm. things like that, and they you don't get that here. You get covers.
0: Nope. That's right. What I liked about Save You here, and this is where I want to bring up Matt a little bit. Matt does this kind of little stop start thing at the end where it's like dude, dude 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 and like that just brings out like just another drive out of the song that just sounds really good. Meanwhile, like Ed shredding on this, like his vocals just rip, save you at the time. Like it feels like every single night playing it right in the beginning of the set, he just lets it go. Sounds absolutely incredible on it. And Deep, following that, kind of brings back a little bit of a storyline that we talked about last week with Glorified G. Glorified G at the West Palm Beach show was brought back for the first time since 1996, seven years. And then Deep, earlier in this tour, like the second night or so in Oklahoma City, comes back for the first time since 1995, I believe then they start to kind of interpret it in the set a little bit more. This is the fourth time here that had been played and you can tell like the intro was a little rough. They got adjusted to it. And at this point you listen to it and you're like, okay, well the deep that you kind of want and the deep that you kind of expect is sort of back in 1991 through 1994, because obviously it's a Dave A song through and through. And you know, it didn't have any of that. It didn't feel like it was ever going to go off the rails, but it was fine for what it is. Interesting that because they went back to it, that they incorporated Boom a little bit more in it. And I don't know if they did that much more after this year. I don't remember it.
2: I wouldn't think so. I, yeah, I don't remember a lot of versions. I know when they played now, I don't think he plays on it at all. But yeah, bringing Deep back again, you You're kind of raging at the beginning here, you got to Illusion Quarter and Save You, and then you're going to go into this, at the time, no pun intended, a deep cut, it's like everyone kind of goes, whoa, okay, this is going to be that kind of a show. I thought Deep was great, you know, for what it is, for bringing it back after eight years. It felt like they were kind of getting a little more comfortable.
0: I can see that, yeah, and I think that once, obviously like the end of the year, I think they played it ten times. This year, they'll really start to kind of feel it more, and it would be one of the more rare ones off of ten, obviously, probably next to oceans. But yeah, it would start getting interpreted in sets a lot more, and I, I think I saw it twice last year, so you know that's not nothing. Okay, after this section here, Ed's gonna say good evening, Champagne. Population: sixty-three thousand three hundred and fifty-two. And I wonder if he saw a sign or something like that on the way in from the yeah. highway. Well, it's that kind of thing. He said, I don't think we've ever played in this building. I feel like a lion in a cage. Any Christians want to be eaten tonight? If that reminds you of anything, if that's recognizable, familiar, I believe he said that same exact line in Verona 2000. And that's, a, I believe, an eight-man show. Because they were in the, the Coliseum and yep. everything like that. Yep. So I think he said that same exact line then.
2: Yeah, a little more relevant in
0: Verona than in Champaign, Illinois, uh, but give him the benefit rah, of the doubt. Sure. Hey, if it's on his mind, it's on his mind. He's going to say it no matter what, so it doesn't matter, but it'll get you into a version of Dissonant and a version of Small Town. A little line-changing Dissonant, she saw him to this day, said she was just a friend. What's that about? I have no theory on that. I wonder if you did. I thought it was she was just afraid. Oh, Okay. I thought it was she was just a friend. I okay. thought they were doing okay. a little
2: Bismarcky on us. There's two different things there. We'll have to let the people decide.
1: She the she was just a she she
0: a yeah, I, I like to think that to attribute to the late Bismarcky. I think that might be not anything at all. Not a tribute or anything. It's more likely that John is right on this one, guys. Before Small Town, Ed says, this one is for anyone from Gurney. And says, they're not from Gurney because they never admit to it. Rockton, Kanakee, and people are kind of shouting things. And Ed hears Cuba, apparently. So he acknowledges that. I
2: think there, there is a Cuba, Illinois. Oh, is there really? Um, yeah, it says only about 1,500 people, 1,200 people. So Interesting. Yeah. Some, someone was there from Cuba, Illinois.
0: All right. Good name yeah. call. So he acknowledges that. And it makes
2: Ed laugh. I don't think even Ed knew about Cuba, Illinois.
0: Probably not, yeah. Well, that's crazy because, you know, like thinking about small town, and this is specifically what I had written here for the song, what I have thought about is that he's a small town Illinois kid, Evanston. Yep. And it feels like every single time that they play Chicago or even like a Moline or something like that, because Moline, I believe they opened up that show before they went into sometimes I believe it opened with elderly woman. <laughs> so he's thinking back to, you know, when he was a kid and I'm, I'm wondering if singing the song, cause it was very anthemic and very heartfelt in this version. I'm wondering if some of those like images of kind of being a local boy, and, yeah, I guess Evanston's not close to Champaign-ish. I don't know my Yeah, I think Evanston's more, uh,
2: more a suburb of Chicago kind of thing.
0: That's what I thought, too. Yeah, more, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think it's on that subway line. But I wonder if those were some of the things going on in his mind
1: during this.
2: Yeah, maybe he was singing, what was it, that vacuum cleaner jingle or whatever the, uh, or whatever yeah. the, the jingle was from the other show in Chicago. Yeah, um, it's like...
0: 580 to 300 Empire. I think it's like yeah. an empire, right? Yeah, yeah, it's
2: carpets. Yeah, the empire carpet. Shingle. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's probably bringing up some memories. Yeah, being in the area and like. I thought this little section like was pretty good. He kind of keeps it reserved, he goes low on the place instead of kind of going for the high thing, which is kind of like we're reining this in a little bit, we're taking it a little more serious, but still pretty ethemic. I love Stones playing on this too, that really like ringing out acoustic sound, which I think is probably the pedal that just changes the sound of the electric to the acoustic, but sounds really good.
0: And the crowd is on top of this too. They're asked to sing the hearts and thoughts fade away and they are on top of it and i don't know how much before 2003 they really create the sing-along atmosphere in small town but i feel like once you get into this year like that's it that's the staple from here on out Mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a pandering version yet where it's gonna be nothing but ed saying you guys do it but we're getting closer to that than not flow section right here pretty early on and do you want a absolute mind-blowing piercing solo from Mike? Here you go. Yeah. I'm wondering if this is why they went in a different direction with Corduroy because he knew he had something up his sleeve that was really good for Even Flow and how many times am I going to say it on this show that Even Flow they're probably on the hot streak and it would extend all the way in, into state college as well. But boy, the reason why he's called McMelty at times, not something that we call him a whole lot on this show, is because he has moments that are face-melting moments very clearly and ones where you just kind of stare in awe and you can feel your face rip off. And this was that moment.
2: The solo just rich, but the thing that I thought was really interesting, there's a little bit after the solo where he and Stone are just kind of playing some dissonant, like just. You're like notes, right? It's yeah, it's not really like a skronk, but Mike's kind of he kind of slows down and he's just starting to play like little notes and kind of finishing up. And then Stone comes in and like is playing some dissonant notes in that. It sounds really cool. Thought that was interesting
0: from all ends of the spectrum here from that I like that when they kind of build back into the course, and I think that that build back is just a monstrous feeling like they really really build that up and a lot of that has to do with Cameron as well just a very powerful ending that came out of it and that's going to get into another 10 song look we mentioned Riot Act is only four songs from this there's no binaural there's one no code three versus three vitality three yield Ten is tied with the cover songs. There's going to be a lot of ten. There's six ten songs as much as there's cover songs, and it's all the ten songs that you'd kind of consider Jeremy, even though Black Alive, Porch as well. And from many sources on Jeremy, that this was a real major highlight of this night. And we don't have video from the show, so it's it's tough to kind of gather exactly how the fans were especially from reading this on five horizons and a couple other sources and things but apparently it's a really powerful call and response when you're in that building and you were experiencing that and the visual here is also apparently a very fired up stone gossard pogoing up and down and just smiling ear to ear the whole time screaming with the crowd the was and kind of putting that image together that Stone's in a really good mood just makes me in a really good mood, because I like seeing Stone in a really good mood. So unfortunately, nobody decided to document this, but we've seen Stone in good moods before, so I get it.
2: Yeah, and even Flo into Jeremy is almost too much for an crowd to handle <laughs> that's that's right up stone's alley like
0: that's why they're yeah, going into the three new songs right after yeah you I mean you've
2: just come off small town on even flow and you're going to go right into jeremy it's almost too much and yeah you know stone is yeah, i wish we had video at least of this song
0: yep mm-hmm. so this kind of felt like a little bit of a turning point in the set that this was going to kind of be the bar for the rest of the set to reach and i think a lot of it did so let's kind of see how it all transpires from here Ed introduces Boom before dipping in to the trio here. And as I mentioned before, these three are going to be the last Riot Act representation from the show. It's Thumbing My Way, you are, and I am mine. Which is good because I am mine, as we mentioned last week, we didn't have. So it's nice to get it this week, and there's a little something I got on it. But what's the highlight of this section? Because all three are very, very good performances, but it does feel like Thumbing My Way has a little something That makes this special
2: yeah thumbing my way for sure i thought it was just gorgeous i mean talk about matt and boom and stone like the way it's layered like no one's really like overpowering anyone else it's it's put together very well with ed on top of it sounds incredible yeah this version of thumbing my way i thought was perfect
0: it was definitely perfect because the whole entire time i thought are we just listening to the studio rendition of this? It just felt note for note what you would hear off of the album. The little difference that I noticed is actually within Stone, and it felt like he was kind of doing it a little bit more pluckier than usual versions, like kind of what he was doing just sort of in the background of your right ear, like you can kind of hear him almost filling in little, little gaps right there. I think that's some of the stuff that he, he does best.
2: Yeah, and adding like accents and doing things, yeah, it's it's very very nice. It's it's understated, like it's the opposite of Evenflow, where Mike's gonna come in and just destroy everything and take over. Like no one takes over. Like you can tell, like they sound like a band. Like it's very very good.
0: You are is really good. Great, I love you. Are yeah, yeah. Like Mike is going off a little bit. Gets a little funky on that. And I thought that this might have been more like electronic-y than usual it felt like there should be like a dance floor and some strobe lights going on it kind of felt like choppy in that manner that's so weird because it's kind of a song where you have to do it the same way every time because it's so structured within what they're doing with the drum machine
2: yeah they were on with the drum machine on this one definitely had a little bit more edge to it
0: and then i am mine i think that was a really nice intro that Ed made about it and it's it's not unique for the era at all. It says it's a song about feeling safe, safe at home, safe on the streets. And it had a very heavy strumming that kicked it off, and then very, very heavy strumming in the bridge. And those are I think are my favorite versions of I Am Mine that just show a little extra intensity to it. When it's at its best, you can channel something through it. I am mine is one like it
2: could be one of their best songs, and I don't think it is. I mean, i put my live songs here. Like, forgive me if I sound like a broken record on this. Like, they really could elevate this and make it something super special and like have it be this big thing, but it always feels like, because of maybe what the song's about or how it was written, it always feels like he wants to bring it just to the brink and then pull it back, and then bring it just to the brink of letting go and then pull it back they've never like let it kind of boil over and have it be this huge thing imagine like if they really went big with iron mine it would be really cool but they never have
0: i can't tell you why i can't tell you why on that i think maybe it's kind of i don't know staying true to what I don't know I guess it's not really a radio song but it feels like a radio song so it's kind of just staying true to it should have the been, yeah. structure but yeah I, I can't argue with that like you build up all of this momentum within and why not just let more of it out but it just kind of sticks around for a second or two and it's one of these solos where it's a concrete solo where Mike is playing the same thing every single time So you don't get a lot of creativity, originality in that. It it is what it is, but it didn't have to be, and it doesn't have to be. And it's only
2: been played just like a handful over a hundred times. Like it easily probably should be double
0: that. Considering on how many people have this lyrics as tattoos. Yeah. Probably should. All right. Let's dig into Ed dedicating the next song to all the people high off of crystal meth and it'll get you into a little section here of habit and untitled and MFC and habit and MFC was a very popular combination i believe it was on the touring band live 2000 dvd them this together this is definitely
2: 98 2000 style
0: oh yeah but untitled in the middle causes like this other wrinkle that you don't usually get when you get these back to back i believe it was just kind of purely habit and MFC what do you think of Habit? I thought that this was really all out, balls to the wall, and kind of got to that point where they almost lost control on it and just became absolute madness. And this is, I think, a moment where you have to mention Cameron.
2: camera. Yeah. For sure.
0: I was waiting for
2: the speaking as a child of to get crazy for him to go off on that and I think if I remember right he just kind of holds off on it. He does, yeah. He doesn't yeah, do it. it. That I think would have really like set everybody off but yeah I mean coming out after three Rodak songs like okay they're going to go back to like a, a 10 song or like something familiar but no like just get weird with Habit and like it's such a left turn in the set list but yeah I love it you know anything from No Code is always welcome so It's weirdly placed here, but I I still like it nonetheless. Yeah, you you needed that in this set, like, just something crazy to kind of,
0: like, change the pace a little bit. Yeah, speaking of that pace, Matt is just pushing it faster and faster and faster. And it seemed like at the end, they lose all control. And it's kind of like, okay, this song can no longer be contained under the laws of music theory. That's kind of how you feel about some of these sometimes. But yeah, very good, very entertaining. Once again, Stone is kind of shining on Untitled. He's kind of doing those things like we talked last week. He's taking some of that atmospheric sound and putting it towards it. But there's no improv before the improv kind of thing. It's just right into Untitled and right into the lyrics. But we do get some changed lyrics here. We get a Let's Go to Chicago, Get Drunk and Talk Politics, which Crowd is all into. And then there's a reference. He says the 23 minutes or so, but it feels like... There's another reference there because the crowd reacts to that right afterwards. And there must be something that's tied into Michael Jordan that we're just not hearing from the boot. That maybe mm. he's pointing to something. And, you know, obviously it's not the United Center where you can just point up to the rafters or something. But I don't know. Maybe there was a shirt on stage. Maybe there's a shirt in the crowd or something like that. But yeah, it seemed like that was tied into a Michael Jordan reference, the 23 minutes.
2: Interesting. Yeah. According to Five Horizons 2, it says this show was, of course, on campus, so they did not serve alcohol. So when he mentions like, mm. "Let's go get drunk," all the college goes, "Oh, okay, yeah." Like, remember that? <laughs> like, yeah, that gets a gets a nice roar too. But the Chicago line gets a massive crowd response. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. They're up for that, and crowd clapping along to this is very, very good. Yeah. And MFC, good, and definitely more of an open version last week, where last week it felt like they really got punky on it and really kind of had that bite. It was a very short solo at the end, too. Like, if I Am Mine is your, why can't they extend it at the end? Then MFC has always been mine, yeah. and I've gotten my wish. So maybe you will someday. Maybe Hopefully. Yeah, you're still open. But, yeah, fine. I don't think it was anywhere close to what last week was, though. Like, that was a special version mm-hmm. of last week. Mm-hmm. This is a good section over here. we got four more in the main set, but given a fly and nothing, man, back-to-back, back, I think this is a really, really cool one-two punch. And... You know, we're going to toss it to Javi in a second, because these songs kind of have a juxtaposition here because of what Mike's guitar tone was sounding like on Given a Fly, which wasn't like a full, very clean and crisp that you'd usually get from it. It's not even that effect heavy. It's more, I don't know, condensed and maybe like a, a little cold. muffled sounding. A little cold,
2: I thought. Not as like warm and open as it usually is, but... Now that I'm looking at it, I wonder if he had his Nothing Man guitar and effects on during Given to Fly, because it almost Uh has that intro of Nothing Man feel to Given to Fly.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I said the juxtaposition and through Nothing Man and Stone's acoustic on Nothing Man, Mm -hmm. that had a very rich sounding acoustic on it. So I thought that this would be a really good time to get in touch with the gear guru and see what he has to say on these two and kind of the juxtaposition of sounds and and kind of what bonded these two together. And I can talk for a long time, and I talk a lot on this podcast, but this is Javier's moment, so let's give it to him. (laughs) ¶¶
3: hello John and hello everyone in the podcast so for this week we are covering Champagne Illinois from the 2003 Riot Act tour so I know that in the past we have talked about amps and we have talked about guitars and pedals and all the fun stuff that we think that is interesting right but this week it's all about the tone I was very surprised to hear so many different tonal differences across the show and they're not driven by any changes on the amps or in the EQ of the amp or any sort of like adding or getting out pedals into your signal or anything like that. It was just more about basically the band members playing with tone knobs and volumes and rolling down the volume and maybe doing more different things. They always do that in a regular setting but in this show it's very, very, very present. And actually, the fact that this venue is kind of like a UFO setting, so I was wondering if maybe it's in the way that they were hearing themselves or in the way that they were hearing themselves on their in-ear pieces over the mix that they basically drive those kind of like spur-in-the-moment session where like they want to change something on the go, which it makes it a very interesting show. Actually, if you hear Given To Fly, the intro is so much darker than usual. It's kind of like it makes it more reflective, opposite to like the sparky, hopeful version that we always hear when we are listening to this band live. But then right after this, when you hear Nothing Man, it took a complete different edge. It's like super bright, very high on treble, and it kind of makes the song more snappy which reference to tom hanks uh that thing you do movie so if you haven't seen that please go check it out it's a pretty cool movie but it makes it more like on the go ready to go kind of song and then it takes a little bit of that atmosphere of reflection that usually nothing man has the other cool thing is at the end jeff's bass gets super high on treble maybe to try to combat that muddiness from the tone coming from the guitars right at the end of the show that they were kind of like all the way rolled down with the tone but yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool, interesting thing to talk about this week since it was the main thing that I noticed in the show, and that was the topic of conversation that we had with the guys this week. So yeah, I really hope that you enjoy it. Until again
1: the futures afar. But in the past he's slow and sinking. Caught It's the day, let it go
0: insight yet again Mr. Hervas and Javier Javier, part of the crew so Javier we'll see in a couple days should be awesome should be a great life experience and hopefully create some memories to last a lifetime and all that so very excited I just loved nothing man like rhythmically beautiful Ed's vocals Mm. were beautiful tapped really into expressive side but also like not Overly emotional, like kind of kept a little bit of the sorrow in there.
2: Very, very well placed here, and you're at the end of the set too, because you're gonna switch gears after. But I thought "Given the Fly" was absolutely amazing when the full band kind of like rears back and lurches in at the end of that first verse. Like, there's a surge there that's just like magical when they come in, and like if that's led by Cameron as well, like "Given the Fly" really makes you sit up and take notice. This was an excellent version.
0: Blood and Porch are going to end your main set here. And from what Five Horizons said, and it is true because they didn't play it in 2000 at all, and they played it once in 1998, but this is the first Midwest version since Soldier Field. That's absurd. That almost doesn't feel right to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, they have the song kind of like, it didn't go away forever like glorify g and deep but it definitely didn't get played as much from 96 to 2000 as it was in you know 93 to 95
0: now do you consider toledo to be the midwest because they did play in toledo in 96 like that's like borderline v- I, I
2: right there I, I do consider toledo to be the Midwest.
0: okay yes. so then yeah all right then they played in toledo so yeah All right. Well, there goes that debate. But, I mean, Blood has this fury. You know, we kind of talked about songs bringing you back to a certain era. But, yeah, this kind of brings you back to 1994. It's very primal here. There's no messing around. There's no bow-wow-wow, yippee-oh, yippee a kind of stuff. And there's no, like, messing around in any of the bridge sections. But it also kind of felt like it wasn't going to descent into complete destruction here. It was fired up yet tightened up and maybe the most with that combo that I can think of out of the song that, I, that I've heard because it felt like it didn't break all the sound barriers or stuff like that, but it still felt intense and it felt like all business, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, and uh, Five Horizons has mentioned something too that, again, I wish we had a video from this, but evidently they had red lights all on the stage during this, which if you're there, it's like, oh shit, this is classic Pearl Jam right here. You could tell Ed was only really feeling it on this version. He was going for it a little bit. He's doing some vocal stuff near the end, and like, evidently he was doing like the mic stand thrust into the stage and everything. Like, call it classic, whatever. But you didn't see that a lot in, in 2003. It was different things. This definitely, I could see where they thought that like this definitely had a '93 spirit to it.
0: To me, it always feels like they've always had the red lights on their blood, right? And and it was rarer back then because as I mentioned like 1998 and 2000 it's nowhere yeah. but I feel like they've always done the red light so I'm just not sure about that I don't know if like they got excited for that reason or just didn't mention it in yeah. the other versions that they heard earlier yeah, pic- so.
2: picturing myself in the crowd like the song comes on and then the red comes on like yeah even if they do it all the time like I'm still that's gonna get me, oh, yeah. gonna get me going
0: oh yeah no doubt no doubt about it Porch is closing out the main set and it's an early riffy kind of porch blues in a way because it's just ed and stone and stone's kind of doing more of the doom doop, doop 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 and it's not like full band it's not one two three four like intense fast porch and like this could be one of the early signs of this is how the song is gonna end up at a later point What the fuck is this wrong to you.
1: you didn't Leave a message we least I your voice One last time Daily mind Feel the good Do my time by you Would you hit me again? Would you hit me again?
2: Yeah, the porch was definitely going through a change there, and like this one did feel maybe hearkening back a little bit to get big and epic, but porch in 2003 is something different than you know porch in, in 95 96 just like blood and it's it's something different than porch would be in you know 2006 and 2010 and, and beyond so yeah going through a little bit of a change but yeah it felt like a big way to end this that i love the rhythm that jeff was playing during the bridge there it sounded very very good we haven't mentioned jeff yet he needed some yep. love here
0: no definitely and we do get a stone solo on this a very heavy one like a very like power inducing one and you know matt also got to mention him in this too because there's like a cool section in the bridge before ed kind of delves into doing a blitzkrieg bob call response that he just kind of goes off on and yeah you're right like this feels like a pretty big finish and creates kind of the desire to want more going into both the encores here, even though there are going to be exactly three Pearl Jam songs left.
2: But <laughs> well, yeah, we get, I did notice the blue creep up too. We got to get that on live up, I talked to Dave about that.
0: Well, actually, I should tell you, and this is for all the people, you know, coming up very soon as we're right here in the encore break. So we're pausing for station identification and coming up very soon is the Love Boat Captain Evolution episode, which will be a Patreon exclusive. And one of the things that we talked about there was the 2008 version, where it was about 40 seconds long before they just bailed on it. Yeah. And I did talk to Dave, and I believe if you look at that set list on his page right now, I believe he has changed it to, instead of the full song being played, just like a little blip. The
2: tease, yeah.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So. Yeah, that's there. We're very influential on him and he's very open to yeah, listening to things and reacting. Work there. Always. Always. He's the man. So this is where we talk a little bit about Petron and thank everybody for continuing to donate throughout all the years. A little, I guess a little bit of a, you know, step away from Patreon for two seconds. But at the end of every episode, we talk about the like, rate, subscribe kind of thing going on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I just want to take the opportunity now, because I know a lot of people when it comes to the end of the podcast and we do the rating, they're like, okay, let's, you know, hear what the next episode's gonna be and then move on to the next podcast. Whatever it is. And Yeah, I just want to throw this out there because we did a little campaign for trying to get some more comments and get some more ratings because it felt like a little lackluster in ways our goal that we put out for this year was to get to 100. And I feel like if the only thing that we do is... Say it at the end of the episode, then maybe we should try something else So I put it out on the social medias and I just want to thank everybody for chipping in and, and putting in the good word Over on there. It's really really important that all the good things get said about us over there and that people that see that because to some people It's not like finding the social media. It's not finding Facebook It's not finding the website even it's looking on Apple podcasts and looking for a Pearl Jam podcast to listen to. And it's up to you guys to tell them what you think about this show. And from what we got it was just a amazing response and such wonderful comments. And I just want to thank everybody right here. And now that's listening to this, uh, you just did a wonderful job. And if people aren't sold by what you said, then they just aren't good enough for this podcast. Let's just put it that way. So <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for doing that. Yeah, that's dude, I
2: did, cool. I did see that. A lot of people posting things. Thanks, everybody. That's that's really nice.
0: You guys all get your sticker and guitar pick, and I'll, I'll keep that open. If anybody else wants to say something nice about the pod and let every everybody else know what you like about it and what we're doing for this community and stuff like that, then I'll send you over. A brand new Live on Four Legs guitar pick. Let's just kind of mention the Patreon things here. This is a time to mention this. This was actually originally a request from a former patron named Michael Netteldon. So if he's listening in, we sent you over an email and said hey you know if you want to tell a story feel free we didn't hear from him but just want to give him a shout out as a thank you for pitching this to us we were always going to end up doing it at some point but helped kind of push it to the top of the line when it came to the 2003 stuff this year so thanks michael for that and if you want to contribute to the show and get yourself your stories your favorite stories your favorite shows being covered that's all through patreon and I recommend everybody do it because we do have a tour that's coming up pretty soon that we're going to need some funding for. We're going to need some funding for events and things like that. You know, the actually, I should use the quotation marks in coming up pretty soon because at this point, no, nothing is official. We just have all the rumor mentions and everything like that. But if the rumors end up being true, which I think they will, Chicago and Dallas are probably the two that i gonna do so just keep that in mind for events and things like that and Anthony from Touring Fan Live and I have been talking about things and you know that'll be a really interesting time in Chicago because it's a part of our fifth anniversary week so we'll be wanting to do something for that I'm sure so yep all the funding kind of goes into that and all of the help matters and all of it is so thankful, and just, you know, we owe a debt of gratitude to everybody, that's why you know, we're sending everybody like a little, small, little thing as a as a thank you, it's just a guitar pick, but you know what, like you guys deserve it, so join up on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash on 4 legs or you can download the Patreon app and search for Live on 4 legs that's how you can listen to all the shows if you choose to also, you can just go to LiveonFourLegs.com and click the become a patron button and if you want a show requested, your favorite show that we haven't done yet, if you want that requested, the best way to do that is through the Leg tier, $5 a month. Or if you want to go a little further and do the $10 a month, the Horizon Leg tier, we are doing profile episodes for people that are on that tier. Also, the guitar picks aren't it this is just kind of a start but we're going to be doing a little bit more merch as time goes along and figuring out other things and a a little package maybe some like very exclusive shirts and things like that so hopefully you guys are excited about that but thank you to everybody that continues to donate over there and we really hope that anybody brand new that's jumping in on that we got a love boat captain evolution episode coming out I don't know what else to sell you on, because that would be the ultimate sell for me. So, Evolution episodes are great. I recommend everybody going back and listening to all of them, so join up on Patreon if that's something that you'd like to listen to. Alright, get back into the rock. We don't have class tomorrow, do you? No! Class my ass is what you're saying, yeah? Yeah. then Stone gets some love here and gets a massive chant right after that as we're about to get into a song that's being played for the first time in 404 shows can't say that every episode Uh...
1: What does it have to do with me What is my reaction, what should it be Confronted by this latest atrocity
0: time that they played this and this is actually kind of interesting now the first time they did driven to tears was back in 1992 at the Stockholm show which had to be a change of venue because they were getting bigger and bigger crowds at the time but also This was kind of like a preset song. This wasn't full band back then. I think it was Ed and like one of the techs, uh, I believe it was Scully playing drums on it or somebody. And I think it was just them doing this. So this is technically the first full band performance of this song that there is. Driven to Tears, a police song. If you listen to the Sirius radio station for more than five minutes, you'll probably hear a bite of Jeff saying, oh yeah, police were a huge influence very early on. We just love African rhythms and all those things that they were doing. And I think that Driven to Tears falls right under that category as being that kind of song. And maybe not one that you'd really consider right in their wheelhouse, but it does fit really well. It's a good example of them
2: not going for the obvious choice, you know, there's plenty of huge police hits that they could have gone for They would have been a bigger crowd favorite. But to go kind of for the cool deep cut that's got like the little bit of the angular rhythm is, is a good choice for them. Yeah, this is this is cool. Like, Driven to Tears is not one of my favorite covers that they do. I mean, the big one is, you know, when Sting came out and played with them in, in New York City. but. This, I think, is fine. Yeah, we've been bringing it back. we talk about, yeah, the song came back after this move. the people really care that Driven to Tears wasn't played for 11 years? Like, maybe, maybe not, but they brought it More back. More a hardcore the, fan was. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I consider myself a hardcore fan. I don't know. It moves the needle a little bit, but you look and they they sound-checked it six times, so they were really, <laughs> really trying to get it down. So I think that shows it kind of good, they, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's got a weird rhythm to it, I'm sure. They fucked it up a bunch of times before they got it, but... Here we go with the covers.
0: Yeah, this is number one. And they'd play it, I think, eight more times on this tour. What would become more and more as they continued doing it is that Ed would start becoming more aggressive with the vocals and have a lot more bitterness and anger, and it would have a bite to it, whenever Ed sang that. This had a little bit of it, but it felt, I guess, a little more reserved compared to some of the ones that came a little bit later. So, I mean, the first time you're going to figure it out after a while. Okay, what do I want to do on this song? What do, what do I want it to sound like? But this wasn't fully there yet. However, yeah, I guess for people that are really locked in on the history, it's a holy shit moment, but you don't hear a massive reaction from the crowd. Like They don't tee it up as, this is something we, we don't do at all. You know, they just go into the song. They didn't make a big deal about it at all.
2: And it doesn't have a big moment like Crazy Mary has a big moment. Bob O'Reilly has a big moment. Driven Tears kind of doesn't have that big moment where it opens up and the crowd can participate in it. It's just not that kind of song.
0: No, but you know what? Fine for what it is. It's fine for what it is. Better Man is going to be the one original song in Encore One. And... Yeah, crowd kind of forces Ed's hand very early on, and they're essentially telling him, no, we're going to sing this one, and Ed just says, all right, I'm going to let it happen. And it's very energized version, you No, know? Another one that Matt really flourishes in, and he's building up the surges really well. It did feel a little bit short, but it does feel like maybe they're considering that the next one needs a lot of time, so maybe kind of cut it a little short on better man to really get a full crazy Mary.
2: Yeah. And again, like it's feels so lonely here <laughs> not to make an accidental police reference, but being the only original song in encore one, it kind of like it's holding up a little more weight than it should. But in lieu of a big ending, Mike really holding the end of that solo and just letting it hold for, I felt like forever it was, was really, really cool to hear. I hadn't heard that on better man before.
0: Okay, now we get into Crazy Mary here. We mentioned evolution episodes earlier, like two minutes ago, when talking about Love Boat Captain, and we did the Crazy Mary evolution episode last year. And I actually went back because I know that we talked about this version. It was a very specific reason why we talked about this version, and I'm gonna read off what my notes were for that. This really feels like the first massive version of this song with a very long jam. Boom gets a very long solo, and Mike gets a ridiculous solo follow up. It's an 8-plus minute version, which is the longest to date, and the first of note that I was able to hear the Boom chants following afterwards that didn't get prompting from Ed. Well, what do you think about all that?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, this is close to 9 minutes, right? Boom is kind of like the opening act for Mike at this point. Like, he takes his soul at the beginning, and Mike comes in and he's like, alright, have a seat over there, and and let me take over on this thing. I think thanks for warming everybody up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Mike just destroys this. Yeah, it it does feel like kind of the beginning of the modern era of the song.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, you get a little things that make it feel like a little bit of the past, like there's a stairway tag in it. There was no duel, so it was just kind of, you're right, boom does his thing, Mike does his thing, and they both get kind of spotlights, but a little while later they'll both be connected and they'll both kind of work together and this is really where the song will start to grab that energy and become like that kind of moment for the band and the crowd that's why i kind of think of it as not fully being the song that pearl jam covers it's so unique to them because they have that you know you were just mentioning that with driven the tears it doesn't have that moment unique to pearl jam crazy mary This was never a part of this song Boom was never a part of this song And they Developed it during that Period of time where they were practicing For the 2002 Little run in Seattle and then Going out to Australia It's played the first night on that Australia run And they had an idea With it and they went with it And that's why it really feels Like Pearl Jam's Original version
2: I'm not gonna it's still a cover song yes this is the prime example of them taking a cover song and making it a big moment and making it special and like yes when when Crazy Mary comes up nobody goes like oh a cover like yeah I understand what you're saying but Crazy Mary is one that goes back to the Versus era like everybody knows it so it's always welcome.
0: one it's know your rights and fortunate son and he starts off know your rights by saying okay class a little bit of history and both these songs are actually in their sixth performance here so it's still pretty early on but they wouldn't really go much past like 20 or so and they're both in the same boat where they're of the era prominently 2003 Know Your Rights got brought back a little bit. Like I saw it in like 2012, and I did too. Yeah, played like one or two other times outside of that. But Fortunate Son, after the election, maybe they play it one or two other times, but almost never. I love Know Your Rights. It's a great Clash song, and I love when Ed really taps into his inner Strummer there and really gets that intensity, and it's on full display. But, like, Fortunate Son, yeah, it's in that category, as I mentioned before, with just the other 70s classic rock songs that just kind of are staples of life listening to music. And it's a good song. Obviously, it's a meaningful song, and it was yeah. It's a, meaningful it's a message song. Sign. It's
2: it's it's got a message behind it. It's anti-war. So
0: right. But also, when you think of the song, you're like, I don't ever think of Credence, and I like Credence. I like Credence a lot. I don't think to put on Fortunate Son because I'm like itching to hear it because it's just everywhere.
2: Funny little tidbit here. I'm looking at this. You know, the last time Fortunate Son was played was Missoula, 2012. Also, know your rights. Played at that show.
0: Interesting. I mean, that was a show specifically geared towards an election. Yeah. So maybe they had the same kind of thing in mind, but like Fortune's Son, weird. Like it doesn't really fit for that. I don't know. But look, Ed is never going to match anything that John Fogerty does with it. The original is never going to be replicated. Like There's little bits in here where Mike sounds really good, the band sounds really full, a lot of energy, but it doesn't really move the needle for yeah, this podcaster. I'm I'm starting to get a little cover fatigued at this point, even listening to the blue leg. All right, well, now we're in the encore. We only have two more covers left, so we'll leave it at that. But there's a nice speech beforehand, and we're going to get an origin story here, and also Ed's going to cut a song from the set list. We should give a, a proper shout out. It sounded like you guys really liked them. Shout out to Sparta for coming on tour with us, and Sparta was kind of an offset of what was at the drive-in. Yeah, they kind of half of the,
2: half of that the drive-in, and the, uh, the other half,
0: Mars Volta. Yep. So I was trying to think of what to play if you're all going to stick around here. The crowd is going in every which direction. They're all shouting Ooh. random songs.
2: This is an unruly crowd. <laughs>
0: This is like shouting fire in a movie theater or open bar at a wedding. They are worked <laughs> up. Yes. And going back to some the juxtaposition with state college that was kind of mentioned before, I think that this is it because they have that moment in state college where, again, it's like, well, what should we play? And they don't make the same mistake twice because in this they're like, no, we know what we're going to play. We know. And in state college is like, all right, you tell us. Here, at least, you get songs that are kind of reminiscent of what the actual songs are instead of that Satan's Bed version, but it's a huge part of the history as well. But it's just interesting as they have more of an understanding in State College, like, okay, don't tease them like that again. Now, Ed says we're proponents of open, honest debate. However, I've already figured this one out. The ballots are closed, and I am your leader. Sounds like you know all of our records pretty well. And there's a song off the Binaural record called Soon Forget. And it was inspired by hearing a song off an old Who record called Who By Numbers. Who am I kidding? It was stolen from a song off Who By Numbers. Parts of it. Mm, (laughs) Debatable. I think it was fully stolen from this song. It's a song that made me... And as he's in the middle of saying this, we have some yellers in the crowd, and it sounds like they're yelling for songs again, and does sound like they're chanting for, for lead better. to which Ed
3: responds. But it's, it's the song that uh, made me want to, made me
1: just hold your horses and
3: shut the fuck up. Because, you see, we were gonna, and now we won't, and that's just the way we are. And that's not how you gonna
0: know that about
3: us. Ledbetter was actually on this set,
0: following Alive, to go into Baba. And right after that, you can see, after he puts the ukulele down, he probably takes a big pen and crosses it right off. So, just be nice to your frontman, and that, you will get what you want. So, here he says, I'm going to try it. It's a song called Blue, Red, and Gray. I know Pete Townsend loves Chicago, and he probably loves all of Illinois. He's a hero, always has been, always will be. So I'm singing this one for Pete, and I think about him all the time. This is in the aftermath of the whole like child porn incident with him, so you know I'm sure that's still on his mind at that point. You know that's yeah. probably a little bit of why what went into this.
1: Some people seem so obsessed with the morning, get up early just to watch the sunrise. Others like it more when there's fire in the sky, worship the
3: sun when it's high. Some people go for
1: those sultry evenings, cocktails in the blue, red and grey, but I.
0: So as I said origin story here, and he said he stole parts of this to play and soon forget. I don't know what he means by parts because essentially like you can flip like a verse chorus and little things around and if you mix up the jigsaw pieces a little bit you can put together exactly what soon forget is by listening to the song there's no discernible difference in the music at all it's just a little bit different composition wise
2: yeah it's stolen directly absolutely speaking of you know covers of the air they only did this in 2003 it hasn't come back since but you know i love blue red and gray i love the who version of it but yeah this one again like Ed's doing a Who song, so, you know, you're gonna get another one here in a minute to close the show, but yeah, he's paying tribute to his heroes, and I get it, but, yeah, like, play soon forget instead, would've been better. Blue, Red, and Gray is so lyrically dense... I think there's, he forgets a couple of lyrics, and I think he gets to like... He
0: does pull the third stiffening. or fourth
2: verse even, and it's just like, oh, he, he can't. He can't remember all the words. But yeah, gray there's Blue, Red, and Gray has, I think, four or five verses in it. So it's it's hard to get through. But what's going to come next is going to be the highlight for me.
0: All right. Well, it's Black and of the era, so we got to Gretch out for Stone. I think we did one earlier in the year when we did a 2003 show. I don't remember which one it was, but this one... Again, like black in this era was known to be very heartfelt and very passionate. Not like versions now where it's kind of more of a celebratory song where you know you're going to get a big time mic solo and you know you're going to get big crowd reactions and like crowd is going to take over at every moment that they could. But like this has. A lot of emotional energy behind it. And, you know, there is a great moment where Ed turns the mic around to the crowd and lets them do the whole I hope someday you'll have a beautiful life section. And they all have that down pat. But I think what's kind of within the beauty of this song is just how, like, Mike Solo kind of has this intensity, but still within this intensity, you can feel the sorrowfulness, especially out of it. Like that's what the song becomes and it just has such a a very mournful ending to it and portray it as what you want, grieving or just flat out kind of a sad version but like really emotional and they really tapped into those key elements for Black that are more of where the lyrics take you almost like this is supposed to be an emotional song you're supposed to intake it in this kind of way this version i absolutely love and it starts at the very beginning
2: during the intro you hear boom come in on an actual piano not the organ sound you know not a keyboard sound it's an actual kind of plinking piano sound and it is amazing i have not heard an intro like this on black in a very long time i think they're few and far between where he actually goes for the piano sound it's very very deliberate and slow and i think that adds again talked about it during thumbing my way it's just textured and like layered very well and everyone's just kind of laying back and letting the full band like everyone's just doing their part to kind of add to the whole yeah this version of black it felt kind of restrained like a little bit with mike but also very very powerful and then yeah when the crowd takes it it might be the moment of the show for me here All the
1: love...
0: Excellent version, and you're going to package that back-to-back with an Alive that's going to, in the same way, like, the the way that both of them are paced, in comparison to what we know these versions to be now, a lot more celebratory, and they're faster, and kind of have more of a punch to them. But Alive, in the same way as Black, like, Black compared to what a version would be now, very much slower paced, and Alive felt almost a plotting pace, too. And it was interesting because at times you sort of listen to the vocals on that and it did feel like Ed was a little low energy more than usual, but you have to go back also. Alive is still trying to be figured out and I I don't know if at this point they had used Alive as like the penultimate song of the night as it's going to be for the next 20 years, but there's still a background on this they're still getting over it they're still getting through it and it's not a big time celebration and i don't know if i was expecting the celebration i think due to last week probably not but the crowd does the hey chance and everything like that that sound great but they didn't anticipate this song being like the big party goodbye mode
2: yeah and again it talked about it a little bit with Porch and again kind of a similar thing with those 10 songs like Alive was definitely going through a transition in 2003 it wasn't what it would become like in 2006 we know the storytellers the person who's lifted that whole story but here we're not there yet and like I think you mentioned last week we're still very close they hadn't played a lot of shows since 2000 so that stuff is all still fresh that that Seattle show where it came back and was the big moment there's only been a handful of shows since then with Australia to put in a handful in They didn't play it a
0: lot in Australia and Japan.
2: Yeah. You could tell, like, they were just kind of putting it in different spots. I'm looking at, you know, the next night in Cleveland, they closed the main set with it. The next night in Pittsburgh, a show that we're going to cover very, very soon, it was part of the Mamasan in Encore 1. And then, you go to Philadelphia, it closed Encore 1. And then, Albany, then it comes back to being the penultimate song of the set. So they were kind of Throwing it in different places Seeing like Okay where is this Going to work now Like what's going to be Our relationship With this song Going forward And yeah Versions like this From what we understand Like when the crowd Doing the hey hey hey's Like again That'll give you chills It's a great moment It seems like the band Was coming to into it And so you're, you're kind of Seeing it Them start to have Kind of a second life With it here
0: Of course Bob O'Reilly Is never not going to be A celebratory moment So sure. Closing out a set It's going to have The massive crowd Sing along unequivocally the big party moment and just a big powerful version. It felt like it was almost never going to end in a way like they could have kept going on and on and on and kind of kept holding on to that tension at the end instead of like letting it all out. And they could have kept doing that for another like three or four minutes and really ramped it up. But that's how much energy went into it. But it was just a great night ended off on a really great note so can't complain more than that two hoop covers in encore two finishing out the six that we get in the matter of a couple of minutes so be that what it will but now it's time to pick some songs that we like maybe three of them maybe we do from three to one and just kind of rate them so I think what I'm going to do for my three, and I, I really like this version. I like the tie-in with Ed, and I think like they are intangibles about this. that I kind of mentioned when we were talking about the song earlier where Ed has the tie-in with the small Illinois towns. I think Small Town is going to be my number three here. My number two is going to be Nothing Man, just a beautiful version. And as mentioned, 2003 isn't really the perfect era for this but this felt like more of a rarer song for this kind of set and then my number one is going to be crazy mary i felt like this was really impactful for them at the time and i think the most meaningful song coming out of this show and knowing what it would become after this like this is as we talk about evolution episodes just like the pinpoints of where they are in their history i thought that this was super important for that Interesting, because I've got a completely different three, so that always means it's a good show. Uh, That's right. That's well.
2: My number three is going to be Given to Fly, my number two is Thumbing My Way, and my number
0: one is Black. Okay. I guess you should listen to the show, then. We all got three different ratings. I guess it's worth it, but now it's time to give this show the proper rating it deserves. And, you know, coming into this, I I had high expectations and I listened to the show and I think I listened to it with more of a, just an enjoyment. And sometimes you listen with enjoyment, but you're also looking at it with a different mindset, a different eye. So you're able to kind of hear things and see things and kind of wonder about why they were doing things where, and you know, all that. But I had high expectations for, and most of them were met. I think the one thing that I didn't really mention was that I thought and just from memory, I thought that this version of better man was like an eight minute version of better man for some reason. And that must've been another one on tour because I don't know why I I came into this being like, Oh, I can't wait for this better man. And it just wasn't that. So I guess that kind of limited a little bit, but it didn't like destroy the set for me or anything like that. I think I'm giving this a nine. This is a great set. I think deserves to be talked about from this year. I think it is a classic show from 2003. And, yeah, I'm right there for a nine.
2: That's where I am as well. I'm right there at a nine. I think, yeah, the covers thing gets a little bit much. Throw in another deep cut or two in the encore there, and you, you might have me at a nine and a half or even higher because this is a great show. Like we talked about at the beginning, you know, Cameron has a great night. McCready's on fire. Stone, Jeff, you can tell the band is on at this show, and then it shows. It's definitely highly recommended. There are a few things on here that I'll go back to. So yeah, I'm I'm right there. Solid nine as well.
0: Dual nines, not a bad thing. We still, in the middle of April, have not had a Hall of Fame show, which is very interesting. Now, we know that they're coming because we know what's coming up in the summer. So they're coming. But be very interesting to see what's going to happen from now in between. Next week is going to be... The last little run of the 2003 shows, as you kind of mentioned before, it's going to be Pittsburgh. And that was, I think, like two days after this show. So, you know, a lot of similar themes and stuff like that. And we'll get to hear like just how they're building off of the momentum of the last show and and, and all that. So, yeah, this is going to be a very good night. As you mentioned, it's going to be a mixed up mama song in there. So that should be really exciting to talk about. Good Lord, John, I'm looking at this now. We had four Riot act songs this week. We have three next week. That's yep. it. Yep. Only two cover songs, so I, I guess that's more approachable. No, your rights
2: will be back. We we'll get to talk about that again.
0: Yep. And tons of verses. Five verses songs. That's hmm. kind of the leader in the clubhouse for next week. So, all right. Well, this is where I usually say go on and subscribe on Apple and Spotify, and I will say that because it just did. But. You guys know the spiel that I did before. If you want to head over and leave us a comment, leave us a rating, I'll send you a guitar pick for that as a thank you. And if you're international, I'll send you uh, a a treat, a treat that's kind of in my bag of goodies. So that'll be a little digital thing if you are willing to participate in that. But, yeah, we said it before, so once again, we thank everybody for pitching in and, and helping us do that. It's just great to see the community get behind something like this. It's a small little fan created thing. And you know, most other communities won't even pay attention to that kind of thing. So thank you guys for continuing to support. I got nothing else to say, but I do got something after I say what I usually say. So this may be the end, we're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. I'm feeling some Bismarcky right here, John. What do you think? I think we have to add that for the end of the show. Go for it. Do you got what I need? You got what I need.
1: I got a little story to tell you. Have you ever met a girl that you tried to date? But a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story of my situation. I was talking to this girl from the US nation. The way that I met her was on tour at a concert. She had long hair and a short miniskirt. I just got on stage dripping, pouring with sweat. I was walking through the crowd, and guess who I met? I whispered in her ear, come to the picture booth, so I could ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof. I asked her her name, she said, blah, blah, blah. She had nine, ten pants and a very big bra. I took a couple of foot since she was enthused. I said, how do you like the show? She said, I was very amused. I started throwing bits She started throwing back mid-range. But when I sprung the question, she acted kind of strange. Because when I asked, do you have a man? She tried to pretend. She said, no, I don't. I only have a friend. Come on. I'm not even going for it. is what I'm going to say. But you say he's just a friend, and you say he's just a friend. to see my girl that was so exquisite it was a school day i know she was there the first semester of the school year i went to a gate to ask where was a dorm this guy made me fill out a visitor's form he told me where it was and i was on my way to see my baby doll i was happy to say i arrived in front of the dormitory yo could you tell me where is door 3 they showed me where it was for the moment. I didn't know I was in for such an event, so I came to a room and opened the door. Oh snap, guess what I saw? I felt a tongue kissing my girl in the mouth. I was so in shock, my heart went down south. So please listen to the message that I sent. Don't ever talk to a girl who says she just has a friend. Has a friend. Has a friend. Has a friend.